The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good morning, church. There's a short story I want to tell you. There's a man, he went for a walk with his dog. He got to a lake, he picks up a stick and throws the stick into the lake. The dog then walks on the water, picks up the stick and brings it back. And he thought to himself, what did I just see? Is he walking on water? Am I seeing things? So he thought, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll bring my neighbor with me tomorrow. I'll have a witness. So the next day, grabs his neighbor, goes for a walk. Same lake, takes a stick, throws it into the lake. The dog walks on water and brings it back. So he turns to his neighbor and he's like, hey, do you uh, notice anything unusual about my dog? And he says, yes, yes, I did. Well, what did you, what did you notice? The neighbor says, your dog can't swim. <laughs> How we see things matter. How we perceive things matter. And it can inform us and impact us in the deepest the deepest of ways. For the next few weeks, we're in this series called Note to Self, and, and we're talking about fear, stress, worry, anxiety, super light, easy topics, right? Last week, Anthony talked about stress and how we can cope with it. All of us have been worried about something or anxious about something, and a lot of us, I think, are more worried now than we've ever been before. And now there's different kinds of people, so there's different levels of worry and anxiety, There are those of you that get your blood pressure checked just to make sure you're alive because you don't worry about anything. In fact, your husband or your wife worry for you and about you because they can't get you to worry. If you're in 10th grade, your parents wonder why you don't worry about anything. They want you to worry. So there's that side, but we're not going to talk to that group of you today. You can kind of just chill out, but I don't have to tell you that. Somebody will wake you up at the end of the message and tell you it's time to go home. But... For the rest of us that worry, the rest of us that feel anxious, this is for you. You may have heard it said before that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So have you stopped and asked yourself, what are my strongest thoughts? And am I inviting God into those thoughts? Today we're going to talk about overcoming anxiety at the end of 2022, I got this email from Version, you know, the, the Bible app, and maybe, maybe you got it too. And it was about which Bible verse was shared, bookmarked, highlighted the most last year. It was Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It sounds like we all need to be reminded of God's peace his love, his presence. And if you're here today and you struggle with anxiety, I believe God has a path for us to take to help us actually overcome that anxiety. And and I do want to say this, if you've grown up in some church traditions, maybe you've been taught this, maybe somebody's even said this to you, hey, if you're a Christian, you know, you're not supposed to have anxiety. The Bible says, don't worry, don't be anxious. Um, So I just want to say this, anxiety is not a sin, it's a symptom It's not a sin, it's a symptom. Just like when the smoke alarm goes off in your house, maybe you're cooking and that kicks on. Uh, If if I were to go, there's there's a problem here. Let me just take out the batteries. That doesn't actually solve the problem, right? The smoke alarm is just saying, hey, there's there's something wrong. 
taking out the battery doesn't solve the problem. I have to actually put out the fire. And so when there are anxiety attacks, there's this alarm going off. And if you wrestle with anxiety, it's, it's not a sin, it's a symptom. There's something happening beneath the surface that I believe God wants to help us break free from. There are people in the Bible that wrestle with anxiety, that wrestle with mental health. You know, Paul wrote something to the church in, in Philippi, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He talks about being under a great pressure beyond their ability to endure. And he says, so we despaired of life itself. Paul was wrestling with mental health. King David, through the Psalms, we see him wrestling with mental health, asking this question, why are you so downcast, O my soul? He would begin to get caught in these loops, and God would have to help him frame what he's seeing differently. Think of it differently. Perceive it differently. And we're going we're gonna to look at one of those Psalms today. Jesus, in Matthew 26, he said this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This was in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus would go to the cross. And he had to remind him, he had to submit himself, God, not my will, but your will be done. Elijah in the Old Testament wrestled with mental health all throughout scripture. What I love about the Bible is, is that it doesn't hide that there are people who are wrestling with anxiety, who wrestle with depression, who wrestle with fear and, and worry. The Bible says, hey, we're gonna tell their story. We're not gonna hide it. And if that's you today, and if you wrestle with those things, Here's what that means. It means you're normal. Anxiety is not a sin, it's a symptom. Paul, who at one moment despaired at life itself, writes what I'm about to read. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial and eventually execution. And here's what Paul writes. This is Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice. This is, again, he's writing from prison, about to face trial and eventually execution. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation. Well, what about my situation? Does this apply here? Every situation. Well, my situation is kind of small. It's not that big of a deal. In every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, in this passage, God is revealing to Paul this path to overcoming anxiety, a path to experience freedom. But it does take courage to take our anxieties and bring them out into the light, to be able to identify them, to acknowledge them, and then bring it out into the light. The mind is incredibly powerful. I think we all know that. This is why Paul said in Romans 12, to be transformed. Remember, experience a metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. And when it comes to our minds, I think one of the things that's a very common struggle is this struggle of anxiety. I saw a study in 2019, and it said two out of three Americans reported having severe anxiety. Two out of three. Wrestling with anxiety or even severe anxiety. 2019. You remember 2019? Oh, man. And we thought 2020 would be even better. Hello, COVID. 
So can you imagine, in 2019, if two out of three Americans are wrestling with anxiety, that's just continued to increase. Now, 30 minutes of me preaching up here is not going to solve anxiety. You're not going to walk out of church today and go like, um, it's done, taken care of. But I do think there's this path that God can lead us down that scripture has guided us to that we just read. And I hope this message can be a bit of a, a catalyst to take some steps. We're going to look at David today and we're going to hang out in Psalm 139. So David's words in the Psalms, I think they're divinely inspired to help us search within ourselves. And Psalm 139 gives us this picture of God's all-seeing eye, meaning he's watching over our lives in every situation, in every season. And then there's this intimacy with which God knows our lives. He knows us. So we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says this, How precious are, to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then here comes the shift. Because David, up until this point, he's focusing on all the external factors. And all of a sudden, he makes this move, a move that he's made time and time again in his life, from dealing with his enemies to dealing with the inner me, to dealing with himself. And I think this is one of the most important life skills to have, because David's about to take responsibility for his own anxiety. He's not going to put it on the economy. He's not going to put it on King Saul, who was trying to kill him by the way. He's not going to put it on his family or his tanking stock portfolio. He's, he's not going to put it on anybody else but himself. So in verse 23, he says, search me. Search me. I think these two words can free us from 90% of the drama. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us like to borrow drama by looking into other people's lives, don't we? Oh yeah, that's good. That's not for me. That's for the person next to me today. Tell him, search me, oh God, and know my heart. You see the shift? Kill him, right? David was fussing and cussing about the way things were in the world. Bloodthirsty men, selfish politicians, systemic corruption. God, do something about it. And then he shifts and he says, search, search me. Nothing changes until I do. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The NIV says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Have you ever found yourself asking the question, why am I anxious? I would guess we all have. Why am I so stressed out? Why am I worrying so much? I think we live in this age of anxiety, don't we? It's, it's basically marketed to us through companies that are supposed to be giving us information, but oftentimes there's fear tactics and shock and awe and attention-grabbing headlines. It's designed to actually make us anxious. But let's be careful, because we could sound like David. Kill him, God. No, David came to a place where he said, it's not what's happening out there that makes me anxious. It's what I allow in here to go undetected, unchecked. It's my thought process he uses a Hebrew word here. It means disquieting thoughts. It's translated as anxious, anxious thoughts. So David's saying it's not so much what's happening that's creating anxiety. It's actually 
the way I'm thinking about it. Look at verse 24. It says, look inside and see if there's any grievous way in me, any offensive way in me. Maybe David knew about neural pathways back then because now we know that when you think about something long enough, it creates this new neural pathway, it creates a loop, and you can get stuck in this rut. David's saying, see if I've been thinking in a way that has allowed me to allow the enemy in, to traffic in my mind where I've just been letting him in. So I want to share seven things to consider around overcoming anxiety and really answering this question of why am I anxious and hopefully get us past the point of answering that question with somebody else's name, past the point of answering it with something that's out of our control and and hopefully get us to a place where we can see that not only is God watching over my life, which is what David understood while Saul was trying to kill him, he knew God was watching him, but to also know God knows every situation of my life. So why am I anxious if God knows my needs? Why am I anxious if he's numbered the hairs on my head? For some of us, that's a lot. For some of us, he doesn't have to count as high. Why am I anxious if he's promised to supply every need? Now, I'm not a doctor, obviously, so I'm not suggesting science and medicine have no role. But regardless of where it's coming from, there may be some ways in me that are allowing me to remain vulnerable to the way that things are and that are allowing me to remain anxious. When the Bible says, do not be anxious, I don't think it means we can never feel anxiety. We've all felt anxiety on some level. It's when we stay anxious. It doesn't mean there won't be moments and seasons in your life where your hands might be shaking. I can think of a, a few of my own in the past. But that's not what we're, we're talking about. I'm talking about this pervasive sense when things are going right and you, you can't even enjoy them because it probably is not going to last long. And you find yourself looking around every corner for what's going to happen next. So the first thing to check is your intake. The first thing I consider when I'm anxious is how full I am of what? I just learned about this... Uh, New feature on my phone. I have the iPhone 13 Pro Max, and my wife Summer has the 14 Pro Maximus Super, right? Who knows what name they'll come up with next? There's a lot of cool apps on here, right? And, and it's really cool. There's this one, though. You probably haven't seen it before. So if you hold these two buttons down right here, You'd be shocked at how much this can help. We can't take it all in and still have room for the peace of God. If you're praying for the peace of God, does God have anywhere to put it? Or is your mind too full? I'm not so sure you and I were designed to have like the entire human race, the conversation the entire human race buzzing around in our pockets. What do they say? Where do they go on vacation? What did Elon tweet about? I, I'm not sure it was supposed to be this way. We've got this shock collar, and I don't know if we even realize it. And then we try to lay a 30-minute sermon on top of the 17 hours of media that we've consumed, media that was designed to hardwire the way we think. What hope do we have for peace if we don't make a place for it? 
So we've got to get our intake levels up. I, I wonder if some of us are on this spiritual starvation diet and we don't even know it. So we, we have a faith that we don't feed and we can't access strength that we actually possess if we, if we feed it. You know, when I first started to work out, all I cared about was, was the weights, like how much I could lift, how fast I could do it. Anybody remember those, those high school, college days, right? We're just all in the gym trying to outdo each other. As I got older, I, I realized you can't out-train a bad diet. I know there's some fitness coaches out there. They, they recommend that you keep a food log, right? The idea is to write down everything you eat. Now, I've never actually done that, but I do like the idea of it. Because before I can change what I take in, I need to track what I take in. I, I wonder what it would look like if, if you kept a thought log of just what you let in. So if you let in the enemy and then you pray for God to drive him out, it creates this cycle where you're creating your own state of mind and then you're trying to pray it away. So there has to be this knowledge. Search me, God. We have to let God show us what we're taking in. So check your intake levels. The second thing to check for is imbalance. Now, I'm not referring to chemical imbalance. That's, that's for the doctors to, to look at and decide. But what I do mean is when you don't have a sense of what's important in your life, when you don't have a sense of priority and everything feels urgent. We probably all know somebody like that, or maybe that's you today. It's a sign that you haven't figured out what's really important. And now you're open to everybody's demand and they all take up equal space. So by saying yes to the people who really don't matter, you're giving an automatic no to those that do. And now you find yourself unable to give because you're a limited resource to the people that God has entrusted for you to care for the most. So we have to have this sense of, of balance. Yes, I can work out, eat, pray, all that. But, but what I mean is you've got to be balanced in what you're giving weight to. Sometimes we're stressed out because we're giving too much weight to the wrong words and not enough weight to the right words. And so we're out of balance. We have this feed and everything on our feed is the same size. And because it's all the same size, we think it carries all the same weight. So we live in this state of stress because we haven't learned how to weigh it out. What am I focusing on? What am I giving my attention to? There was uh, this employee and at the end of the working day in the factory, he's, he's leaving the factory and he's pushing out a wheelbarrow. And inside the wheelbarrow is a small box. So he's stopped by the security guard on the way out and he says, hey, what do you, what do you have in the box? He's like, oh, well, well, there's this box here and you know, at the end of the day, there's sawdust on the floor and uh, I s- swept up and thrown away. So I-, I needed some. So I put it in the box and I'm, I'm taking it home. The guard says, well, open the box. He opens it and sure enough, there's sawdust, sawdust in the box. He's like, all right, fine, you can head home. The next day, same thing, pushing the wheelbarrow, small box. Third day, same thing. Fourth day, same thing. Fifth day, he's pushing the wheelbarrow again with the small box. Same security guard. He says, hey, it's, it's you again. What do you have in the wheelbarrow? A small box. Yeah, I know, but what's in the small box? Same as the other four days, sawdust. Open up the box. Let me see. He opens it. It's sawdust. At this point, the security guard says, like, I feel like something's up here. So I feel like you're stealing something. If you tell me what you're stealing, I promise I won't report you. The man says, okay, fine. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> Isn't life a little bit like that? It's, it's easy for us to focus in on the wrong things, to give weight to the wrong things. 
this doesn't matter, this does matter, that I keep my faith, that I have a grateful attitude, that I don't let my situation control my spirit. This matters, not that. Because if we don't sort this out, this, we will live in a constant imprisonment to our own indecisiveness. And that's the third thing to consider. Indecisiveness, it can be a, a prison. Hey, today is Sunday. Here's an easy exercise. I want you to make three decisions before Wednesday. Three. Set aside a day, sit down, have, have your cups of coffee, have an espresso, and make the decisions. Anybody else take 15, 20 minutes to figure out what to watch on Netflix? Or is that just, just me? It's this Netflix effect, right? There's so many choices we can start to feel overwhelmed. One of our cars is electric and the other is gas-powered. So every now and then, you know, go to the gas station to fill up. And I just want gas. I, not a Slurpee. I don't need a car wash or a back massage or sushi. Don't do that, by the way. Just <laughs> Gas. There's so many options. So we start to get indecisive. And then everything everybody asks of you, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll get back to that. You're not thinking about it. You're not praying about it. You're just waiting for it to come back around. And if we're not careful, it can become the way that we handle things. So I want to challenge you. Make some, make some decisions. And I want to put an asterisk next to, next to this and say this only works if we're living with integrity. This only works if you're living with integrity. If I take a hard look at myself, sometimes my anxiety is a result of a compromise in my integrity. It's hard to, it's kind of hard to have a peaceful heart when you're hiding secrets. It's hard to have a peaceful heart when you're having to hope that your wife doesn't check your phone to see certain messages. It's hard for me to have a peaceful heart when I have two different Instagram accounts and one's a decoy. And now I'm asking God for peace. Give me peace. But my life is in so many different pieces. The word integrity means whole. You remember math class? I was never very good. I still am not. Uh, But I do remember integers, right? Whole numbers. Integrity. All one person, all the time. And when there's three different kinds, three different me's, and I have to manage that in every different situation, it's kind of hard to pray the panic away when my own lifestyle is actually creating it. When I'm trying to figure out which mask to wear at church, because I don't want people to to see into my situation at home. And then there's the work me. And then there's the after work me, Sunday morning me. It's hard for me to have peace when my foundation is cracked. It's hard for me to ask God to bless a life that's divided in so many different directions. Now, I don't mean that you have to interact with everybody on the same level. But what I am saying is that although you might bring a different approach to different situations, the essential nature of who you are remains unchanged. David, David said, search me, know my heart. And if the way I'm doing it is wrong, then I want to be changed. And here's the thing, I'm already accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. So now, God, would you, would you help me align my life with what you made me to be so that I can be the, the realist the best version, the highest version of me, the called me, the, the, the chosen me, the secure me, the stable me, the loved me. And I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. This is my child with him, with her. I am well pleased. All my points, by the way, start with a letter, same letter, I. I think that's the common, that's the common denominator in our anxiety. Search me. Your eyes can see beneath the surface God of what the situation is. I'm anxious because 
my money, uh, my health, my mom. No, that might trigger it. But the truth of God's word can enable us, our hearts to transcend. This is what the New Testament preaches. It's that the peace of God will pass all understanding and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So no matter what triggers the anxiety in any situation, God, David said, search me, know me. Sometimes I have to fix my intention. Sometimes I can reduce my anxiety by just shifting my intention. Just by going from, well, how are people thinking about me? To realizing that they're not. They're not. Maybe I should be thinking about others. Well, why didn't they talk to me? Why didn't you talk to them? You can shift your intention in, in any interaction. And when you do, when you step out of the center and try to, try to see, okay, how can I serve? You know, you know what will go when you step out of the center? The, the burden of the weight of, of how you're coming across, of how you're being perceived. The burden of the weight of what other people are and are not giving you. Let's get out of the middle and, and try to see things from God's point of view. Search me, God. Am I anxious because it's just the rhythms of life? Fine, we'll get through it. Or am I creating more waves than necessary because my eyes are not focused on Jesus? You know what I've noticed is that a lot of this is, is in our imagination. I, I think we, we actually need to reclaim our imagination. I think it's one of our most valuable assets. I, I don't know about you, but you remember when your imagination used to be more just playful. And now it's just stressed. As a little kid, we would make up games, right? I, I think we really need to get back to this childlike faith. And I think it's the, the devil's first step to set up a stronghold in your imagination. He wants to make it where you can't stand to be alone. So every time you go to think, you worry so much, so now you can't worship. You can't worship because you're so worried. You know that song that we sing, the battle belongs to you. We say the battle is his, but if we're being honest with ourselves, we tend to worry like it's ours. We need to recapture our imagination to where we feel free again, to where we can dream again. And here's the really good news. If you're good at worrying, you're going to be great at worship. You know how there's Taco Tuesday? I'm trying to start something called Worry Wednesday. Maybe you can, uh, you can help me get it going. There's this guy, his name was J. Arthur Rank. He was an Englishman, and he decided to do all of his worrying on one day each week. And so he chose Wednesdays. And so when anything happened that gave him anxiety, he would write it down, put it in his worry box, and then forget about it until next Wednesday. The interesting thing was on the following Wednesday, when he opened his worry box, he found that most of the things that had disturbed him during the past six days were already settled. He realized it would have been useless to have worried about them. I was doing a little research on on worry and anxiety, and I found some, some interesting stats. Did you know that most people's anxiety is preoccupied with 40% of things that will never happen, 30% of things relating to the past, which can't be changed, 12% of things relating to other people's criticism, which is generally untrue, 10% of things relating to health, which often gets worse with stress and negative thinking, only 8% of the time are we anxious about real concerns, just 8%. But we add the other 
So when we wake up in the morning, we need to stop thinking about how every possible meeting can go wrong and that I don't have any clean shirts to wear. I wore that on Wednesday, so I can't wear it again. I don't think anybody's keeping a spreadsheet of what shirts you're wearing. (laughs) We need to wake up and expect to see the goodness of God. Earlier in Psalm 139, David says this, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It may sound cheesy, but don't consult the forecast, consult your faith and pray about it. A couple things happen when we pray. It moves the heart of God. God wants to hear us pray. He wants to hear us be honest with him about what's going on in our hearts. And also when we pray, it literally changes the chemistry of the brain. It changes the pathways, the connections of the brain. In her book, Switch on the Brain, Dr. Caroline Leaf, she writes this, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can rewire the brain to the, to the degree that they can see it on brain scans, that they can see the visual effects, that there's a rewiring, there's a chemistry change in the brain with regularly focused Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Maybe for some of us today, we just need to go hit pause and say, okay, what is it, God, that you have already done? I need to acknowledge that. I need to praise God for that. Something I've noticed is it's hard to keep spiraling down in loops of anxiety and also be grateful at the same time. We need to pause, remember, and reflect and help break that cycle, this loop of anxious thoughts. And here's the last one, isolation. I was thinking about why we come to church. It's this weekly reminder that we're not the only ones. We're not alone. We can find community here. It's, it's hard to walk in the peace that you're praying for when you don't have a support system to encourage you along the way. So if you haven't found connection and community here, please Come, come talk to one of us on staff and we'd love to help you get connected. You know, when we gather together and we sing songs, like, what's that about? It's not, it's not just songs. Why do we do that? Why are we singing? When we get done, it's like, yeah, I like this one. I didn't really like that one. There's power when we gather together and worship God through song. We're shifting our focus onto everything that we have to be thankful for. It's changing our focus off of our circumstances and onto our heavenly Father, who loves us, who cares for us, who's provided and made a way for us. And so when it, when it comes to anxiety attacks, you can actually use worship as a weapon. That by worshiping God, you're actually fighting against those anxious thoughts. You're shifting your focus onto whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. We're shifting our focus. So I want to go back to verse six and seven of Philippians four as we wrap up. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God, we pray. 
would you show us the ways that we are thinking that, that are preventing your peace from flooding our lives? This peace that you've given us access to that surpasses all understanding, that you would guard our hearts and our minds. Jesus, we look to you in every circumstance. May we come to you with thanksgiving. Remind us, God, that you're watching over us. Psalm 121 says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. We thank you, Jesus, for this truth. And we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.